Good morning, good morning. All right, so we uh, have been in this shorter series. Uh, We've got a couple more weeks in it, A Life of Love. Last week we were up at the lake, which was a great time. If you, if you missed that, I'm sorry you missed that. It was, uh, there was a lot of us there. How many of you guys were there? Because there was like 70 of us there, which was great. It was a nicer day. It, was, it wasn't so hot. And uh, we just had a great time up at the lake there. I unfortunately, I meant to record uh, on my phone just a, r- a rough message in case someone wanted to listen back to it, and I forgot to hit the record button. So sorry if you missed out on that. Last week we talked about... The first one in this list, love from a pure heart. We talked about this idea it's, uh, that Paul is talking to Timothy in this book, 1 Timothy 1.5. Paul is talking to Timothy, who, who is, Paul is a mentor of, of Timothy. Timothy was left on at Ephesus to uh, be a leader at that church, uh, probably what we'd consider a pastor uh, these days at that church. And he told him this, this message right at the beginning of his letter to Timothy. He says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. I mentioned a couple weeks ago and last week that this has been a guiding verse for me over the years. When I started to figure out that maybe God had gifted me for teaching and that that might be a part of uh, my ministry that he had for me, I, I spent, and, and that it would be pastoral teaching and pastoral ministry. I spent a lot of times kind of pour, a lot of time pouring over First uh, Second Timothy and Titus, and just trying to understand what I needed to do and be as someone who was in that role. And um, and this verse has stuck with me as far as a teaching ministry because that's what he's talking about here. He says, "But the goal of our instruction, the goal of our teaching, you can actually probably translate that as teaching ministry, the teaching of God's word, the the apostles' teaching." The, the goal of teaching that to other people is love. Like, that's the whole point. That is the end goal. That is, this word was used of, of the, uh, the top prize in the Olympics, right? Today, that would be the gold medal. Like, Olympic athletes spend years and years and years training to be on that top podium spot, right? And if they get there, there's no better place to be. There's nowhere else they want to be. There's no, there's no higher podium other than the, the first place podium. That's what they, where they want to be. And so they're working and working and working because they want to get to that goal. And that is what the goal of a teaching ministry is. That is my goal every time I sit down to study every week is for us to understand the truth of God so that we end up loving one another and loving God. That's the whole point, which actually makes a whole lot of sense because we talked about the fact that, that Jesus set this out as the goal of, of the Christian life, that for us as believers, there's n- like everything that God ever instructed us to do is summed up in love God and love others, right? So if this is the goal of the Christian life, it makes sense that it would be the goal of, uh, of a teaching ministry. Now, some uh, People, I can tell you, I know I've had these temptations over the years. Uh, some people might be tempted that, that the goal of a teaching ministry be to be a respected community leader, to be uh, someone maybe who has an inside track on something. That other people go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, man, glad that you revealed that to us. Or uh, that's something that puffs the person up, right? Or create some sort of a, of a unique take on things. But my goal as a Bible teacher And that's why I have a poster of this in my office to remind me of this. And our goal as a church should be to produce lives of love. Not just any kind of love, 
but agape love, God's unique form of love that only comes from him and only can be produced from those who entrust themselves to him. And this kind of love is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Now, last week, uh, we looked at love or from a pure heart, which boiled down, because I'm not going to go over everything again, but boiled down means love that is not tainted by sin, that sin taints love, that sin hurts our ability to love. We can claim that if we're sinning with someone, that maybe we're loving them or loving others, but we are not. If I decided one day to go in and step out on Melissa and go cheat with some other woman, I probably would say it, that I love this other woman, right? That's why I'm doing this. No, that's not love. It's not love. It's not love for Melissa. Wouldn't be love for this other person. That is not love. Because love tainted by sin is not God's kind of love. If I sin against you, of course that's not love, right? If I, if I slander you, if I, if I call you names, if I put you down, that's not love. But this also includes not just outward behavior between you and me, but also behind-the-scenes behavior. Because if I gossip about you behind your back, I can't love you when I'm doing that. And it affects my ability to love you when I see you the next time. And I think we can all relate to that, right? Maybe there's that person who we tend to, you know, get annoyed by or we, we think, oh, you know, they're, they're not living up to the standards that I would have for them. And so we talk about them behind their back. What happens the next time you see that person? It affects your ability to love them. How's your relationship with that person when you're talking about them behind their back all the time? Is it good? Is it thriving? Is it healthy? Probably not. Sin hurts our ability to love. So God's desire for us, God's end goal for us is that we would be those who would love out of a pure heart. Love in a way that I'm not sinning against you. Love in a way that I'm not encouraging you to sin. Because sin always destroys. Sin always hurts. Sin always tears down. Today we're going to talk about the second one, which is love from a good conscience. Uh, The conscience is is the idea of of your moral sensitivity. Your awareness of what is right and wrong. It's kind of like this guy. Are you my conscience? Oh, me? <laughs> Would you like to be Pinocchio's conscience? Well, well, I... I uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Very well. Now, uh, Jiminy Cricket was Pinocchio's conscience, right? He even had the badge that said conscience on it, right? Did Pinocchio listen to his conscience? Not very well, right? It got him into a lot of trouble. Sometimes we have this picture of the, uh, the devil on, on one shoulder, the angel on the other shoulder, right? It's just our sense of what is right and wrong. And the problem with our conscience sometimes is that our consciences can be rightly aligned or our consciences can be wrongly aligned. I know uh, most of the, uh, the fathers in here got one of these pens a few weeks ago for Father's Day, Right? Did anybody else have the trouble that I had, which was, you know, as high quality as these pens are, my compass had a little bubble in it. Anybody else have that, that issue? No, just me. I got the defective one. <laughs> the, the problem is it wasn't showing me north because of that little bubble. It, like, north was way over that way. I'm like, that's not, that's not true, right? Because just like a compass, if it's not uh, accurately calibrated, it can, it can lead you in the wrong direction. And that's the same with our consciences. Our consciences can lead us in the wrong direction if, it's, if they're not rightly aligned, 
right? A couple of examples of this. First uh, Timothy chapter 4 says, but the Spirit explicitly says in later times that some will fall away from the, from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teach the teaching of demons by means of, of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So he's describing people who are selfishly teaching wrong things for their own purposes, and they're searing their conscience. If we're thinking of a compass, they're, they're distorting their compass. They're tweaking their compass to the point where what is wrong feels right, and what is, what, what is right feels wrong. Uh, Romans chapter 2 describes kind of an alternate idea here. He says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though, they, they, though not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifying, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. He's describing this, this way that we've been created as humans, that we have a conscience that even if we've never heard the truth of God, or we've heard the truth of God and rejected it, we still have some sort of sense of right and wrong that is, that is accurate in some ways. And we see this in our world. There are good people in our world. And those good people sometimes feel bad about doing the same things that we know are bad for them. And they, they feel good about doing the things that they know, we know are good for them because God has made that clear to us, right? Their consciences are working the way they should work. This idea of conscience is this inner motivator, this thing inside of us that determines behavior for us, this inward sense that affects our outward behavior. And so simply put, what he's talking about here is love from good intentions. What you do is important. Your behavior is important. And sometimes in life, I don't know why, uh, maybe it's a cultural thing, I don't know how long this has been a thing, but sometimes in life, our behavior, some, someone will have certain behaviors and people will go, well, that's not the real you. No, that is the real you. You are your actions. When you behave in a particular way, when you do a certain thing, that is you doing that certain thing. You can't separate yourself from that. That's you, right? But just as important is, is, is what you do is also why you do what you do. In fact, why you do what you do is just as important as what you do. Let me give you some examples here from a husband and wife context. Is it love, is an expression of love uh, when a husband only takes out the trash to make the nagging stop? Is that love? No. It's not love. Is it love for a wife only to make a meal for her husband when she can post it on social media so her friends can congratulate her on what a great wife she is? That's not love for her husband. That's self-love, right? She wants to receive that self-love. By the way, it's not wrong to post on social media, right? But if that's the only reason you're doing it, that's not love. That's not an expression of love for your husband. Is it love when a husband works a 60-hour work week and he knows the reason why he's working 60 hours is because he knows he would rather be at work than at home. But he goes home and he tells his wife, well, I'm doing this for you. That's not love for her. Even though he's, he's telling her it's an expression of love for her, we know that he knows internally that's not an expression of love for her. That's self-love. I'd rather be at work. 
If a wife only agrees to make love to her husband out of a fear that if she doesn't, he might step out on her, he might look elsewhere, that's not love. That's not making love. Motives matter. Why we do what we do is just as important as what we do. And that's what he's trying to express here. The first uh, point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is when it comes to love, why you do something is just as important as what you do. Why and what are the blanks. When it comes to love, why you do something is just as important as what you do. See, we get fooled because we think people can't see our motives. Although probably people can see your motives more often than you think they can, right? But we think no one can see our motives, right? So I can pretend to love. I can pretend outwardly like this is a loving act and inwardly be, uh, know that it's not a loving act and that be okay. It is not okay from God's perspective of love. Let's look at some, uh, some examples. Let me ask you some questions here. Uh, is doing the right thing always a good thing? Think about that. Is doing the right thing always a good thing? I think we would say, yeah, right? I mean, that would be our, our natural inclination. Our first thought would be, yes, of course. Doing the right thing is, is a good thing. Look at Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. You get what he's saying? Doing the right thing, which is righteousness, doing the right thing for the wrong reason is doing the wrong thing. Do we get that? It's not doing the right thing. To do the right thing for the wrong reasons is doing wrong. It's not doing right. Wow, right? Let me ask you a question. Is giving something to someone in need a good thing? Is giving something to someone in need a good thing? Again, naturally we would think, yeah, that makes sense, right? Let's see what Jesus says. This is right after what he just said. He said, so when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, so that they will be praised by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. See, we think, especially in uh, the 21st century when charitable giving is, is way up and, and people care about causes and stuff now, right? We think to help someone out is a good thing. But is it always a good thing? There are, you know, thousand-dollar-a-plate dinners that happen all over the place. The wealthy show up with these thousand-dollar donations, and then there's, like, auctions and things, and they, they spend time trumpeting these donations. Oh, we just got another donation from so-and-so and from so-and-so, and they get a, a plaque on the wall or something like that, and everybody cheers their, their donation. Yay, 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 yay. If that's the reason why they're giving which I think we can all agree without talking about someone specific, we'll just say generally, that's probably the reason they do it. That's not love. That's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's a wrong thing. To give to those in need for the wrong reason is not love. To give 
to make yourself feel good, to get those, those warm, fuzzy feelings. If that's the reason why you're doing it, it's not love. Now, those, that might be a repercussion of it, but if that's your motivation, that's a problem. If, if you're giving to someone just because it'll make you feel less guilty, right? Oh, I feel, I'll feel guilty if I don't give, right? I don't know about you, but I, I feel like we've become a guilt factory. Uh, you can't go to a fast food restaurant anymore or a store without them trying to hit you up with some sort of donation. And what's funny to me, I, okay, I'm going to be a little snarky here for a second, but it's like we were at Taco Bell the other day, and they're like, hey, you want to round up to help children? Sure. Like, I don't even know what I'm donating to. I'm just going to help children? Like, what does that even mean, right? But we'll feel guilty if we don't round up. So I'm going to round up. That's not love. It's not love. Giving so that you can feel superior to someone else. Giving to someone in need so you can feel superior. That's not love. Giving uh, because you think if I, if, if I give, if I'm charitable, I might be able to win God's favor and balance out some of my mistakes that I've made in my life. That's not love. It's not love for God. It's a complete misunderstanding of God's love for you. Verse 3 says, so, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, secret will reward you. Motives matter. Let me ask you another question. Is prayer a good thing? I think our natural response would be, yes, of course. We need more prayer. Look at what Jesus says. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they will be seen by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Is prayer a good thing? Not always. If you're praying to impress others, that is not the right thing. It is the wrong thing. It would be better for you not to pray. It would be much better for you not to pray. If your motive is to impress others with your great ability to pray, to impress others with how holy you are and how, what a great relationship you have with God, stop praying if that's why you're praying. Because that's not the right thing. That is absolutely the wrong thing. If you're trying to put on a display of how holy you are, you are when you're really covering up for how rotten you are, it is the wrong thing. James 4 says it this way. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend what you, what you request on your prayers. What is your motive in prayer? When your motive in prayer is not to entrust yourself and your life to your Father, which is what prayer is for, but is only to satisfy your own desires, it is wrong. Your motives are wrong. Your pray, praying is not a good thing, and you should probably stop praying. This is absolutely not love for your Father. I mean, just think about it from a practical standpoint. Imagine if the only time your kids ever came to you was to ask you for stuff. 
Now you might go, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how my kids work these days. I could relate to that a little bit. Uh, but, but imagine if they never, ever said, I love you, without it following up with, and I need 20 bucks. Right? What if they never, ever gave you a hug unless after that hug they retracted with an open hand? What if they never, ever wanted to spend time with you, but only when they needed you to spend money on them? What if they absolutely never once asked you to do or, or, or did what you asked them to do, but then always expected you to meet their requirements and their demands? Would you receive that as love? It's not love. That's, that's a bank, right? Motives matter. Jesus finishes this by saying, but as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Motives matter. The problem with bad motives is that when the motivation is gone, then the love will be gone also. The love will be gone also. Where do you think generosity goes in these situations that we described when no one else is around? When there's no banquet to be had, when there's no people to cheer these donations? You think that increases generosity or decreases generosity? I think we know. When the applause fades, where, does, where, does the donate, where do the donations go? They go back in the pocket is where they go. If your motives are bad. Where will your, your prayers go if you're no longer seeking to impress people? I mean, there's not a lot of opportunity to pray in front of other people, so how often are you praying? Only in front of other people? Because you're trying to impress them? I don't know if you've ever had... This experience, I've, I've had plenty of these experiences, where I'll say something or do something, and I'm like, man, where did that come from? Well, it came from me. That's where it came from. Matthew uh, 15, Jesus says this, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. Those things defile the person. Our actions come out of what's going on in our hearts. Now, a lot of times, if there's ugly stuff going on in our hearts where we're maybe gossiping behind the scenes or, or you know, we really don't want to serve people, really don't want to, we're just praying to impress other people, like, then something comes out that really reveals our motives, and we don't want people to see that. We're like, oh, I want to hide that. But really, it's just showing the world and hopefully yourself that your motives are wrong, that you've got a problem inside. That you've got a problem with what's motivating your behavior. James uh, chapter 4 says, uh, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? We might think, well, we're fighting about stuff. Well, we don't agree, and so we're at, we're at odds about things. No, that's not what he says. He says, is the source not your pleasures that wage war in your body parts? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Bad motives drive unloving behavior. So when you see unloving behavior, it should be God like flagging you down, going, hey, 
there's something going on in your heart. There's something going on. There's something deeper going on with you. Don't distance yourself from that behavior and go, I don't know where that came from. Freudian slip. No, look at it and go, you know what? That was me. What's going on here that that came out? Lord, search me. I love this prayer from David. Search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I told you guys I pray this prayer pretty frequently because I know I can fool myself. I know I can have bad motives driving my behavior and, and then something comes out and I'm like, ooh, hold on, what's going on in here? And God is very faithful I guess faithful is the word. It's hard, right? But he, he's very faithful to like peel that open and go, Nate, look, yeah, there's, there's ugliness going on. There's something you need to address with me going on. Motives drive behavior. Bad motives drive bad behavior. Good motives drive good behavior. Here's the bottom line to fill in on your handout if you want. Self-seeking motives make it impossible to love like Christ loves. Self-seeking motives make it impossible to love like Christ loves. It doesn't make it impossible to pretend. And I think we're good at pretending. But it does make it impossible to love. Just a few other examples why we're, why we're thinking about this. Is it love to give up your time to help others? Sure. What if it's mandatory, for, uh, mandatory community service for a DUI? Is that love? No. Motives, right? To encourage someone who is down, is that a good thing? I think so. What if you're trying to encourage them to kind of fix them up to get them to stop complaining to you? No. Is it good to, uh, is it love to, to know the truth and to speak the truth into people's lives? Yeah. What if you, you're trying to use that truth to control them and to make them do what you want them to do? See, motives matter. They're so key. They, they will ruin love or they will enable love. Let's look at one more passage. 1 Corinthians 13, if you're familiar with this, it's usually referred to as the love passage. Of course, we had to cover it at some point in this series. I love these first three verses, which aren't the ones that are usually covered, but we'll cover the ones that are usually covered too. Verse 1 says, if I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I could be the most amazing speaker ever, pack out stadiums full of people who want to hear me speak because it's so profound what's coming out of my mouth. People walk away crying, oh man, that was so wonderful, oh, saying that was the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life, right? Let's say, whoa. But if the motives of my actions are not love, it's worthless. It's nothing. 
It's, it's, it's as good as being a one-man band. Okay, that's cool, but <laughs> useless, right? Uh, probably Dick Van Dyke wouldn't say it was useless. Uh, but it's, it's useless, right? Verse 2, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Do you understand what he's saying here? This is crazy talk, right? He's like, if I have the gift of prophecy, which means I have the ability to speak the words of God, speak truth. Like, that's all that's coming out of my mouth is truth. I know God's truth backwards and forwards, and I speak it. I proclaim it. And I'm proclaiming God's mysteries. Like, people are wondering about this stuff. I know about it. God has revealed it to me supernaturally, and I'm sharing the mysteries with you. I'm answering every question you've ever had perfectly from God's perspective. I have a trusting God, a faith in God that is so profound, everybody wants to have my relationship with God. But I don't have love. But my motive for doing all of that, for pursuing all of that is not love. That my actions aren't a representation of love for you. Then I am nothing. I don't know about you, but I, I just go, this is profound. Like this just should just strip away everything that we've got going on that, it, that, that we can like fake it, that we could try to, try to make it seem like love, try to pretend like I, I'm doing this out of, out, of, out of good for you. Like it just strips it all away because I could have everything in the world that I think is good. But if I'm not driven by love, it is worthless. Worthless. And this is not, he's not exaggerating here. He's not overstating the case. He's accurately saying it is worthless. I am nothing. My insights would mean nothing if it's not coming from a place of love, of God's selfless service kind of love. He doesn't stop there. Look at verse 3. He says, and if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory but do not have love, it does me no good. Imagine that I, I give everything I ever owned away to those in need. I put myself in need of other people's charity because I, I've given away every penny that I have to those who are in need. And I even like put my body in the way to save others. I become a martyr for others. I sacrifice my life to stand up for what is right. Like, is there any higher, like, calling than for me to give up my life to do what's right? This is shocking. But if my motive for my actions was not self-sacrificing love, then it would mean nothing. 
My sacrifices would mean nothing. I might as well keep all the money because it means nothing. I might as well live to an old, ripe old age because it means nothing if love is not the motivator. Is there a bolder statement anywhere about how critical motives are? I don't know about you, but it lays me bare. It makes me go, oh my gosh, what's going on in here? Because I do a lot of things. But what, what, what's motivating those things? What's driving those things? If it's not love, you got to get it figured out. i got to get it figured out. And then he describes love. This is the stuff that we are familiar with, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So he describes, uh, he's making, you know, giving a description of God's kind of love, right? And he describes lots of behaviors, lots of things that we do. Uh, Love is acting patiently. Love is doing kind things to people. Love uh, does not brag, does not show off. Love uh, does not act disgracefully, which means making a fool out of yourself. Love does, uh, does, is not provoked, which means love is not touchy, does not respond quickly to, to provocation. Love uh, rejoices over things that are in line with the truth, uh, not with what is wrong. Love uh, keeps confidences, right? But half of the things he lists here, half of them, are not behaviors. Half of them are motives, are things that no one else could evaluate but yourself. It says, love is not jealous. Jealous is saying, I must, I must have your love. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to love me, to get love from you. Versus a, a self-sacrificing perspective that says, you know what? I might have to lose you in order to love you. So I, I'm willing to do that. Or I might have to share you with other people to love you. I can't just have you for myself. So I'm willing to do that. This is love is not arrogant. Arrogant is an internal word. Now, of course, it could come out like we call people arrogant, right, when they act, behave a particular way. But this is an inward idea. It's, it's, it's a deep need to puff yourself up. It's a desire to inflate your view of yourself to yourself. Now, of course, that turns into behavior that, that you know, looks really, you know, like you got a big head going on, right? And, and, it, and it forces, uh, it gets you in a position where you feel like others have to inflate your ego. Love that is about your ego is not love. Not God's kind of love, anyway. Love does not seek its own benefit. Love is not motivated by the desire to look out for yourself. I'm just looking out for number one. Who else is going to look out for me but me? It's not love. 
And it's actually very, very common. I, you know, I, I kind of pay attention to this stuff uh, in, in, in media out there and stuff. But you, if you watch love stories, you know, m- movies and TV shows, and there's so much today about I've got to protect myself. I've got to love myself. In fact, I'll probably break out this relationship because I, I need to love myself. That's not God's kind of love. love. God's kind of love says, you know what, I'm motivated by the desire to look out for you. What's best for you? I give this advice all the time uh, to students who are like, I just don't know if I'm supposed to stay with my girlfriend or not. Like, this is what's going on. And I always ask the question because usually they're not thinking this way. I'm like, what's best for her? How can you love her in this situation? Is it best for her for you to remain in a relationship? Is it best for her for you to end the relationship? How can you love and serve her? That's God's kind of love. It's driven not by what I can get, but what, but what I can give to the relationship. Love does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. This is an internal accounting of others' failures. Most of us who have been married for very long know that this can be common in a marriage relationship. You just kind of keep that accounting going, that, that bill running. It's motivated by the desire to always keep a loaded gun around. You may not use the loaded gun, but if I need to win an argument, or, or, or if, I, if I need to lash out because they're lashing out at me, or I need to manipulate the situation to get it to go the way I want it to go, well, I'll pull out that gun anytime. It's loaded. It's ready to go. It's love that's determined to keep score. Well, I never do that to you, but you do that to me. It's not love. It's not God's kind of love. God's kind of love is, is motivated to believe the best in people. It's, it's, it's motivated by the hope that for the best future for people. That maybe things are going a little rough right now, but you, you're hoping for their, them to come out of that time, for, that, for things to go better, for them to, 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 to deal with that thing that's going on with them that's hurting them. Love is determined to, uh, to endure the worst moments with people and not give up, not fail them. I don't know if you've noticed, but every single one of these things, both the outward behaviors and the motivations, they cost you something to love. That's God's kind of love. Look at Christ. Look at his life. Look at his death. He was was paying out bills all the time. All the time. That's God's kind of love. And it's not just what's going on outwardly that others can see, it's also what's going on inwardly. Point in your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is self-sacrificing motives are critical to love like Christ. Self-sacrificing motives are critical to love like Christ. This is the most important pursuit of our lives, Right? Those of us who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus, this is what our lives are about. Our lives are about love. This is the goal. This is the pursuit. This is the thing we're training for and heading towards is how to love 
rightly, how to love like God loves, love him and love others. I've mentioned this verse uh, every week so far, and I'll, I'll do it again for the last one because uh, I like just how succinct it is. But this is Galatians 5, 6, which, uh, which actually says, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. But for our context, I'm going I'm I'm to add to this. Neither uh, pretending to do what's right has any value, nor giving to those in need just to be recognized has any value. In Christ, neither uh, praying to be impressive to others or praying for only what you can get out of God has any value. For in Christ, to do the greatest things in life but still lack love has no value. It's nothing, right? For in Christ, to love God or others with wrong motives has no value. But this is what has value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is this trusting relationship we have with God expressing itself in love for him and love for others. That is the only thing that counts. It's the only thing that matters. And we make it about so many other things, and the only thing that matters, the only thing that we're, that we're headed towards, the only goal that we're living for, the top of the podium, it, there's no other podiums. There's just one podium, and the top of it is love. So how are, are our consciences doing these days? How is our love doing these days? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? You may be doing some great things. I may be doing some great things. But we need to take a moment and go, why? Is it because of other people's expectations? Is it because I get something out of it? I like how I feel when I do it? Or am I pressing forward toward selfless love? Where might God need to take a look under the hood of you and me? expose our motives. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, thank you for these passages. Uh, thank you for First Timothy 1.5 and just how well stated and what a great goal it is to keep in mind as we uh, pursue you, as we pursue understanding your truth. May we strip away everything in our lives that is, that is uh, a motivation that doesn't revolve around loving you and loving others. Help expose that for us. And when you do expose it to us, help us to have the courage to, to deal with it, to address it, to, to lay that at your feet, to allow you to work in that area of our life. Because only you are, you are the one who can, who can heal us from that, who can make our motivations pure, who can give us that good conscience. So expose us, Lord. We're open to it. Help us see our motives and help us live out of God-honoring motives. Pray this all in your name.